Amen. Remain standing, if you would. Take your Bibles, and let's go to the book of Hebrews, chapter 11. Hebrews, chapter 11. No doubt a familiar chapter of the Bible to many or most of us here. And so much wonderful truth here. I've been um, contemplating and praying about uh, for some time, um, preaching kind of through this chapter of the Bible, and just felt led tonight to kind of give somewhat of a, an introduction to the chapter, and so uh, we won't take long tonight. Remember, long is a relative term, and uh, yet, you know, Paul preached till midnight, so I don't think I'll do that. I promise to have you out of here before midnight. Amen. All right. Hebrews chapter 11, we'll begin reading in verse number 1. It says here, now faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. For by it, that is by faith, by it, the elders obtained a good report. Through faith, we understand that the worlds were framed by the word of God, so that the things which are seen were not made of things which do appear. Look down to verse number 6, if you would, with me, as it says here, But without faith it is impossible to please him. For he that cometh to God must believe that he is, and that he is a rewarder of them that diligently seek him. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you for your word. Thank you for this wonderful chapter that teaches us about faith. And would you help us tonight to realize and recognize the importance of living by faith and begin to understand what it means to live by faith. Uh, Lord, would you just even in this service give us the faith to believe your word, to take you at your word, and to be obedient to your word. And uh, Lord, would you just lead and guide my mind and my mouth as I try to lead your people through this passage of scripture. And we'll thank you for it in Jesus' name. Amen. You can be seated. One of the keys of Bible study, and this is, if you've never taken a hermeneutics class, some of you took a hermeneutics class with me last year. Uh, we taught uh, through kind of a, the principles of Bible interpretation. If you never have, this is a good thing for you maybe to consider. There are certain rules uh, that, you, that you go by in, in, in approaching the Bible. And, and one of them, for instance, would be the law of first mention, or we would call it maybe a rule of first mention. It's not always a law, but there are some others. There's a law of progressive mention. Another one, though, is what we would call the law of full mention. And what that is, is that oftentimes in Scripture, uh, very important subjects of Scripture will have one particular place, whether it's a book or often a chapter or a large portion of a chapter that, that, that most fully describes that particular subject. Now, it's important to always compare Scripture with Scripture. We don't build doctrine off of just one place in Scripture. We, we always compare. Uh, what does the Bible say as a whole, not just in one verse uh, or one text? We compare it all. But oftentimes, uh, God has given to us certain 
uh, places in the Bible that if you want to know something about a particular subject, you can turn to this place and it will probably in the most succinctly and, and yet the most thorough, uh, thorough way uh, describe that particular uh, uh, issue or doctrine or whatever that is. So I'm going to give you a little bit of a quiz here tonight before we even get started. And I'm not going to embarrass anyone, but if you think you know the answer, feel free to say it. If you were to uh, 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 try to explain to someone what the Bible says about resurrection, not only the resurrection of Christ, but the future resurrection of the believer, where would you turn in the Bible to show what the Bible says about resurrection? Does anyone know? 2 Thessalonians, uh, you can talk about resurrection out of that, but there's a, actually a place that's a little bit more thoroughly explained. 1 Corinthians 15, exactly. It starts with the gospel, and it's, it's really over 50 verses that deal with the resurrection and the, the, the future hope of our resurrection because of Christ's resurrection. Or we could say if you wanted to uh, uh, learn something about spiritual gifts and what the Bible says about uh, the spiritual gifts within the body, where would you take someone? Yeah, 1 Corinthians 12. Very good. Excellent. Perfect. Uh, what about if you wanted to uh, uh, talk to someone about what the Bible says about love and charity, where would you turn? 1 Corinthians 13, all right? And so there are just a lot of places. In fact, 1 Corinthians is full of them. Uh, chapter 5, that would be the, the, the church discipline uh, place in the Bible. Chapter 11 uh, deals with the Lord's Supper. Uh, uh, chapter 14 deals with the uh, tongues and the sign gifts and, and order within the church. But there are other places than just 1 Corinthians as well. Uh, for instance, if you wanted to talk to someone about the rapture, you could take them to 1 Thessalonians 4. If you wanted to talk about the Word of God, you might go to Psalm 119, the, the, the longest chapter in all the Bible that talks about the Word of God. I'm just saying there are a lot of places in Scripture that are really the, this, this thorough explanation of a particular subject. And the reason I mention that is because when we come to Hebrews chapter 11, that's what this chapter is about. It's about faith. And the entire chapter, 40 verses long, uh, within the book of Hebrews is dedicated to teaching us about faith. And the first three verses, really, of the, ch of the chapter are what I would call faith-defined. It explains what faith is, and the rest of the chapter would be faith-demonstrated. That's the, uh, the, uh, the examples of those who have gone on before us and lived a life of faith. And so here we have a chapter that is dedicated to admonishing us and helping us to understand what faith is and what it looks like in our lives. And this is very important because sometimes we, we, we think of uh, uh, various biblical truths and, and doctrines and we tend to think of them in a theoretical sense. But sometimes we have a hard time really making application within our everyday lives of those truths. And so in this chapter, you have the first part that kind of describes this is what faith is. And then it goes on from there. And for the next 37 verses, it basically teaches us by example. See, these people live by faith. And this person did this by faith. And faith did this. And faith did that. And, and it is an explanation so that we're able to then take the concept and live it out in our lives. 
Because after all, that is what God wants for us, isn't it? Not simply to understand truth, but to live truth. To take God's word and apply it to our lives and practically uh, make application of these things. So why is it that Hebrews chapter 11, an entire chapter of the Bible, is dedicated to the subject of faith? Well, I believe it's because faith is very important in the life of a Christian. In fact, according to uh, the Bible, four different times we are told that the just shall live by faith. In uh, Habakkuk chapter 4, or chapter 2 and verse 4, it says that the just shall live by his faith. And then three times in the New Testament, that verse is quoted in reference to other things. And, and then we, we find other places, for instance, 2 Corinthians 5, 7, where it tells us that we walk by faith and not by sight. And so really we could say, and I don't think it's a stretch to say, that everything in the life of a believer is to be uh, rooted and grounded in our faith. Because the Bible says in Romans chapter 14 that whatsoever is not of faith is what? Sin. So we are to live by faith. In everything we do, it is to be driven by our faith. And yet, how often do we find ourselves living rather than by faith, living by sight? Leaning on our own understanding rather than trusting in what God has said. And so here in, in the first verse of this chapter, this wonderful chapter about faith, it gives us a, a, a brief explanation of what faith is. Now, don't miss this. It says, now, faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. Let's consider this for a minute. The substance of things hoped for. Um, the word substance... It is the antithesis of vanity. When you, when you read in the Bible, for instance, the book of Ecclesiastes, it talks about all the vanities of life. And one of the ways that vanity is described is like um, soap bubbles. Have you ever seen kids, I'm sure all of us at some point, have blown bubbles? You know, you take the little stick and you dip it in the soapy solution and you blow in it and what happens all these bubbles come up and what happens they they look like there's something there until you touch it and as soon as you touch it what happens disappears because what appears to be is not really there i, I don't know if you're getting this what appears to be is not Real. I mean, I'm not saying there's nothing to it. Obviously, there is some degree. There, there is some soap there that's held together. But the second that you touch it or try to grab it in your hands, if you were to take it, fill this room up with, with bubbles and send a bunch of three-year-olds in here and say, gather up as many as you can and bring them home with you, what would happen? Well, nothing. I mean, there'd be a lot of chaos and no bubbles would be going home with anyone. Right? Think about this. No, this sounds silly. I know you think this is a silly illustration. Think about this. This is what this life is. We have a bunch of immature people that think there is sub 
substance and there's something to be had and they're living their lives striving to grab onto something that they will never take into eternity with them. Because it's empty and vain. It gives the illusion of substance. But there's nothing real and lasting about it. However, on the opposite side of that, we have faith. Which is, according to this, substance. And substance is the opposite of vanity in that it is something that you can never grab onto. Substance is actually a reference to something that does have something to it. We tell our kids, you you don't need to fill up on candy. You should eat something of substance. What do we mean? Something that actually is going to benefit you. Something that's going to help you. You need to eat something that is real. Do you know what the world thinks of faith? They think it's foolishness. They think it's like believing in fairy tales, believing in things that are empty and vain and not real. But did you know that faith is actually the opposite of that? Faith is the only thing that is real. Faith is the substance. What is it the substance of? It's the things, the substance of things hoped for. The evidence of things not seen. And this is what is so crazy to the world. The world thinks it's foolish to believe in something that you cannot see. When reality is this, the things that you see are really nothing. And that which you cannot see is that which you ought to live your life in pursuit of because God, the great invisible one, is worth pursuing and knowing. And having not seen him, we love him. Because there is substance there. There is fulfillment there. There is reality there. There is truth there. And so it describes faith as as this thing. It is a confidence. It is an absolute assurance, a full assurance of that which we have not yet seen or touched or handled, but that we know to be true. We accept these things by faith. It's interesting, isn't it, that he even throws in here this verse in verse number three, through faith we understand that the worlds were framed by the word of God. So that the things which are seen were not made of things which do appear. Now, listen, especially young people, listen to me here. The world will try to convince you that they have figured out where we come from. But they haven't. And they cannot prove evolution any more, by the way, hear hear me on this, any more than we can prove the existence of God. Now you say, well, are you saying we can't prove the existence of God? Well, not in the truest sense of proof. Think about it. No man has seen God at any time. We haven't seen him. 
We haven't heard him with our ears. We haven't touched him. But yet we know him to be true. How do we know him to be true? Well, notice that there is a word in verse number one. It's called evidence. <laughs> there is evidence of God. Amen. You say, well, what's the evidence of God? Friend, look around you. Nobody in their right mind would ever walk into this building and say, what a beautiful building. I wonder how this evolved and came into being. Nobody would ever think that. Nobody. Everyone understands that a building has a builder. And yet somehow we look at the world, the earth, the universe, the, the, the human body, and the complexity which far exceeds anything that man has ever built, and they deny that there is a creator for the creation. This is not proof. And so it is by faith that we understand that the things which are made were framed by things which do not appear. You do not have to see the contractor that built this building in order to know that there is a contractor. The creation itself declares a creator. Amen. And the world around us tells us that there is a creator. Now it is faith that helps us to understand who that creator is. It is faith in his word, in the word in which he has revealed himself to us. And by faith, we now hold these things to be true. Because God has said so. Now, it's important to recognize that faith, while it is the substance, the full assurance of things that are hoped for, the evidence of things not seen, it is, the, it, 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 it is substantive and it is assurance, faith is not proof. Faith is not proof. What do I mean by that? Well, if I am looking for proof before I will really believe, then I am refusing to believe by faith. So, <clears throat> this is one of the problems I fear is a problem with many even well-intentioned Christians who are trying to convince the world of the truth of God and of his word by presenting them with evidence in hopes that if they can win the argument, if they can win the intellect, if they can just prove something, that they will win the soul. But understand this, friend, the, the reason that the world is lost and without hope and without God is not because there's not proof for God. It is because they don't have faith to believe in him. They have rejected him. They refuse to believe. And so what do they say? Well, if God appeared and, 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 and showed himself to me, then I would believe. No, they wouldn't. No, they wouldn't. Uh, Jesus said they have Moses and the prophets. And they won't believe even if one rises from the dead. By the way, one did rise from the dead. And they still don't believe. 
It's not a proof problem, it's a faith problem. And so, following in this vein, in this way of thinking, let me say this also. Since faith is not proof, I want to clarify something, because I've, I've talked to some people who've struggled at times with assurance of their salvation. One of the reasons that they've struggled is because they'll hear preachers sometimes say, are you 100% sure? Do you know beyond a shadow of a doubt that you are saved, that you are on your way to heaven? And some people, when they hear that, they think that that must mean that there's no more need for faith. It's been, I, I have to be so confident that there's never even a question that enters my mind. That's actually not what the Bible talks about when it says that you may know that you have eternal life. Listen, most of us here are saved and we know that we're saved. Praise God for that. But none of us here exactly know what's going to happen the moment that we take our last breath. Right? We haven't seen it yet. And so, where, where is that confidence? What, how can we say that we know? Well, we take God at his word and believe by faith. And so when I say, I know that I am saved, here's what I mean by that. God has said that whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. And I have believed him. I've taken him at his word. And I've called upon him. And I have trusted him. And as sure as I am that God is real and that his word is true, I'm sure that I'm saved. It's not an issue of proof. It's an issue of faith. It's trust. It's confidence. If my wife called me on the phone... And she said, the house is on fire. I just got all the kids out of the house. There are flames shooting through the roof. I don't think I would say, uh, let me come home and see if you really know what you're talking about. I would take her at her word that what she said is true. And I would probably, if she hadn't, called the fire department for whatever reason, and I called them, I wouldn't say, well, my wife says that the house is on fire. I'd say, my house is on fire. Get out there. Why? I know it to be true because my wife said it. I can trust my wife. I haven't seen it with my own eyes yet, but I know it to be true because it's coming from a trustworthy source. Amen. Are you following this at all? There are things, folks, that we believe and things that we stand on and things that we act upon that we have not yet seen with our eyes. But we trust in them and we're willing to stake our lives on these things because they are coming from a trustworthy source. And so because God has said it, we believe it, we stand upon it because Faith is the substance of things hoped for and the evidence of things not seen. We have not yet seen it, but we believe it because thus saith the Lord, we take him at his word. And so the chapter then continues and it goes on and it lists from there 
men and some women who were people of faith and individuals who are an example of of living in obedience to God by faith. And here's what it says in verse number two. For by it, the elders obtained a good report. By faith, the elders. Who's it talking about with the elders? Well, we could say the elders of Israel. But there are actually some people that are included in these pages that most Jews would not consider an elder in Israel. These are people who practiced and obeyed God by faith. And the Bible says that they obtained a good report. And by the way, that's not just a good report of men. That's a good report from God. In other words, God was pleased with these people because of their faith. And this is important because it says in verse number 6 that without faith it is impossible to please Him. Christian friend, can I ask you, how much of what you do in an attempt to please God is really rooted in faith? And how much of it is rooted in your own understanding? The Bible says that we're to trust in the Lord with all our heart and lean not on our own understanding. We can receive a good report by faith. And here's what I want to say about this as well. Every one of us. Every one of us can receive a good report of the Lord by faith. Say, how do you know that? Well, faith doesn't discriminate. In this chapter, we're going to look at some individuals who were very influential, very powerful, some who were very intelligent, some who were very wealthy, uh, some who had position, some who were very respected, and we're going to look at some others who were By men's standards, the off-scouring of society. And yet all of them, by faith, obtained a good report. (laughs) See, this is is good news. Because how often, think about this, how often do we, if you want to please God, what do you need to do? Well, you should go to Bible college where you can learn leadership and communication skills. And listen, I'm not against all of those things. But did you know that leadership and communication skills and talents aren't what it takes to please God? What's necessary to please God? Well, according to verse 6, it's faith. And Abraham had faith and Noah had faith, but so did Rahab the harlot. And all of them obtained a good report by faith. So this is good news to you and to me. Old and young, strong and weak, Rich and poor, influential and powerful, and nobodies, all of us can rejoice in that. We have the ability to please God. How do we do that? By faith. By faith. They all obtained a good report by faith. And look what it says in verse number 6. Without faith it is impossible to please him. For he that cometh to God must, and here's what it is, this is the must, he must believe that he is. You must believe that he is. That means that there, th- this prayer, God, if you're real, 
I believe in you. <laughs> you, can't, you can't come to God that way. Now that might be the first step. It might be something where God begins to reveal himself to someone over time. But, but listen, you don't get saved saying, well, if you're real... And if what the Bible says is true, and listen, I've, I've heard people say this. Well, if what the Bible says about salvation is true, then I'm saved because I've done that. No, you're not saved. Because in order to come to God, you must believe that he is. And if you don't believe he is, you have not come to God. You must accept him for who he says he is. So it's not this thing of, well, to me, God is... No, no, no. God is who he says he is. Amen. He that cometh to God must believe that he is, and, and that he is a rewarder of them that diligently seek him. So in other words, I not, must believe that God is who he says he is, and that God will do what he said he will do. So in order to be saved, I must accept everything that God says about himself to be true. Which then in turn means that everything that God says about me is also true. And I must believe that what he said he would do, he will do. And if I believe that, then what am I going to do? Well, I'm going to respond in obedience, right? Think about it. If I believe that God is, that he, that he exists, that he is who he says he is, and I believe that he is a rewarder, the infinite, all-powerful, all-knowing creator of the universe is a rewarder of them that diligently seek him. If I believe that, guess what? I'm going to diligently seek him. And the fact that I wouldn't diligently seek him is simply evidence that I don't really believe him. And so here it is. This is, this is really an invitation. And please follow me on this. He's saying that faith is more than, it is more than simply intellectually accepting something to be true. But it is believing something to such a degree that it actually changes your actions. Amen. So if I actually... See, what I do is simply proof of what I believe. I uh, used an example several weeks ago of um, cryptocurrency. Bitcoin. A lot of us wish we could go back about 10 years and stick a couple thousand dollars into Bitcoin, you know? All our money problems would have gone away. You know why we didn't? Well, some of us maybe hadn't heard of it, and others didn't believe in it. But if you really believed what, what was going to happen with that, would you not have invested in it? Well, sure you would have. Anyone would have. What you believe affects what you do. So it's easy for us to say, well, I believe God and I believe his word and I believe these things to be true. But our actions and our 
Obedience to the word of God is actually proof of what we believe. Therefore, could we not say that every sin is rooted in unbelief? Every sin that we commit is rooted in a lack of trust and confidence in what God said to be true. And so for the rest of the chapter, he describes not only what faith is, but what faith does. And we're going to read and study in coming weeks of what people like Abel and Enoch and Noah and Abraham and Sarah and and Isaac and Jacob and Moses and all of these different people did because of their faith, because of what they believed, they then acted upon what God had said. Because the Bible says in James chapter 2 that faith without works is dead. If you really believe something, it's going to make a difference in your life. So again, if you believe that God is a rewarder of them that diligently seek Him, you will seek Him. By the way, if you believe in the realities of heaven and hell and the power of the gospel, not only will you trust Christ and be saved, but you'll be passionate about telling others about it. And this is true in everything that the Bible says. If we believe it, we will obey it. And so with all of this as kind of a a backdrop, I want to simply ask the question, how's your faith tonight? Is there substance to what you believe? Are you trusting in the Word of God as your foundation, as your Uh, 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 manual for life? Are you believing it and acting in obedience to it? Because faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen, and without faith it is impossible to please Him. Is your faith, is your confidence real and active in your life tonight, or is your faith simply theoretical Do you have the kind of faith that so much of the world has where they say they believe these things, but it's only real in their life on Sundays? Or is it being lived out moment by moment in your relationship with God and your obedience to Him? Are you living by faith as the Bible says you must? Are you Walking by faith and not by sight. 